Thanks for checking out our weekly podcast. Our mission at Grace is to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. For more information about Grace, you can follow us on Facebook or check out our website at experiencegrace.church. Well, good morning. And, uh, oof. Good morning, everybody. How many people had to uh, put salt out on their driveway or jumpstart their car or freeze? How many people had like ice inside their house? Our windows were literally frozen on the inside. We are glad that you braved the cold and joined us this morning. And uh, we wanted to just bring everybody in one service. John and I have talked about how we love having one service when the opportunity presents itself because all of us get to come here together and just worship. And I personally loved, even though I had to get up early and brave the cold and jumpstart my truck and scrape the snow from the inside of my house, I loved being able to come here and stand next to my wife and just be led in worship and be able to hear all of you singing out. That was such a joy and such an encouragement to our hearts and uh, got to thinking a little bit about that day when we stand before the throne and the idea that we'll all, if we believe the gospel, we'll be there together before the throne and we won't be thinking about each other. We'll be thinking about King Jesus and worshiping him before the throne. And that's such an exciting and encouraging thing that we don't have to wait for that day, but we've actually been created now. We've been made new even now here on this earth for eternity. And so that's what we started a series in just a few weeks ago. We're calling it Made New. And we we're talking about this idea that if we have believed the gospel, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We've been made for the eternal. And so two weeks ago, Pastor Josh opened the series talking about how we can be made new in our relationships. Uh, last week, Pastor Andrew talked about how we need to be made new in our perspective. And this week, we're going to talk about the idea that we need to be made new in our understanding. We're going to look at what it means to have an understanding about what happened when we believed the gospel, what happened when Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And then we're going to see what happens as we continue to put our faith in Jesus, as we continue to trust Jesus, not for salvation, but through the sanctification process. And so our base text is only four verses this week, but I'm going to warn you, we have about 45 slides, and there's about 30 verses that are paralleled in with this passage. And so this is a full-out study this morning. I thought about, it's one service, everybody uh, is braving the cold to be here, and I thought we could do what we do in Grace 412, and I could pull up a chair and have you guys do an actual discussion, and we just do a little Bible study. And then I thought about Pastor Josh uh, watching the live stream and seeing us start the sermon and me pulling up a chair and telling all of you to get in circles and talk to each other, and I thought he might have a heart attack from Texas. And so we're not going to do that this morning. I'm just going to preach. Don't worry. You don't have to talk to anybody new this morning. But I want to encourage you, engage in the scripture. Write down things that are, are referenced and go back and study them. There's too much to cover in 35 minutes, and this is the point that we would go our separate ways and study these things for ourselves. We, we, we don't want this to feel burdensome, but we want this to be engaging. Because Pastor Andrew and Pastor Josh both said, what we know impacts what we do. Our beliefs impact our behavior. And so I could give a, a, a encouraging story, or I could give uh, flattering words, or I could speak uh, engagingly, and I could trigger your emotions and maybe get some kind of short-term response in this 35 minutes that we have. 
But instead, what we're going to do is we're going to engage with the Scripture, and we're going to trust that the Word of God is going to do what the Word of God can do. And as we understand more fully what has been done for us and what is being done in us, that that is going to transform the way we live. As we understand better who God is and who He's making us to be, we want to allow that truth to change us. And so for review, Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 5, the Bible says this. This is where Pastor Andrew left off last week. He says, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father above all, who is above all, and he's through all, and he's in you all. Andrew spoke last week about how our perspective needs to be uh, that where Jesus is number one. Uh, Colossians chapter one, we actually went through a series about Jesus being number one, having preeminence. In this passage, it says, God the Father is above all and through all and in you all. Well, in Colossians chapter one, we go back and it says, Jesus is the fullness of God. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We recognize God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are one God, and that God is above all. He's in all. He's through all. And that is the perspective change that happens in us, that we see Jesus as number one, that we put God first. And now we pick up in verse 7. He says this, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. We're going to, in the next couple of weeks, tackle um, spiritual gifts and who they apply or apply to, which ones, if all or any, do apply still to us, uh, how they apply. We're going to tackle spiritual gifts. And then this week, these verses talk a little bit about where Jesus went in the three days after he died. And so uh, nothing like a couple of hot topic uh, items to discuss here to start the new year, some things we can disagree on. But what I want us to do is not focus necessarily on uh, where Jesus went in those three days. I don't want to discuss necessarily the spiritual gifts and the, the things that we can talk about there. What I want to look at this morning is what Paul focuses on in verse number seven, and that is the gift of grace that God has given us through the person of Jesus. Like, what we're going to see this week is the same thing that uh, I was able to share last time I was able to preach on a Sunday morning, and that's that Jesus is the greatest gift that we have ever been given. Like a relationship to God and to one another is the greatest gift of the gospel. That all of the other stuff is secondary compared to the reality that we can know God, that we can call him Father, that we can have relationship with him and therefore with one another because of the gift of grace that is given in Jesus. And so in order for us to grow in our understanding in that, Let's look at verse, chap uh, verse 8. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 8, he says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to all men. So this is actually quoting a passage in Psalm chapter 68. That's why he says, wherefore he saith. He's talking about the psalmist. It's another way of him saying, as it says in Scripture. And he's speaking to predominantly people who knew the Old Testament Scriptures. And he's quoting Psalm chapter 68, where the Bible says this. You have ascended on high. You've led captivity captive. You've received gifts for men. You see the parallel? Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. <clears throat> now, there's some debate even here about whether or not these two uh, references to captives are the same or not. Uh, some people would believe that uh, Paul is referencing all believers in general being made free 
when they have believed the gospel in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, some believe that this is uh, referencing those who were dead in Christ that were freed from their captivity, and we won't get into the details of that. Some believe that uh, it's specifically in Psalm chapter 68 talking about the actual freedom that the Jews would experience, like the liberation from the law and the oppression that they were under. Once again, we'll let you guys argue about that this week as you do a study with your family and your friends. But the emphasis this week is, is actually on the parallel that Paul's drawing at the end of 68, verse 16, and chapter 4 and verse 8 of Ephesians. Because you notice what he says at the end. He says, Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord might dwell among them. You see this beautiful picture that Paul is trying to paint here in Ephesians chapter 4, that even when the psalmist was writing about this, this uh, general freedom, this captivity being taken captive and people being set free, that he says at the end, the rebellious also, the Lord God will dwell among them. Like, this is the idea. This is actually what happened, that even the psalmist is saying, what Paul is saying, that God himself would dwell among the sinful and flawed and broken. Like, that is the gospel. That's what happened. Jesus came to us. God became man and dwelled with a rebellious and broken and sinful people. He took on flesh. He bore our sin. He took our punishment. That's what it means when it says he descended. He came to us, and then he was dead, he was buried, and he rose again. That's what Paul explains as we keep going in our study. Chapter 4 and verse 9 and 10. Let's look at it. Stay engaged. He says, now that he ascended, that means he is lifted up. He's high and lifted up. His name is above all else. What is it but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same that ascended up far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So now it's actually talking about Jesus. You see the oneness of God the Father and Jesus here as he says, hey, he came, he descended in the form of Jesus. He's also been ascended up on high and he is now above all and he fills all things. Now again, there's some debate here about where Jesus went in those three days, whether it was he actually went to, descended to hell, and he fought Satan, and he won the keys to our, our freedom. Then when he fought Satan, there's thoughts that he just went to Sheol, the lower parts of the earth. There's uh, debate whether he went to what they call Abraham's bosom and what that means, and he freed the people who were uh, kind of there who had believed before and had followed the law. Like there's all kinds of debate that we can get into. But the important thing, again, for us to pull back and see is this idea that Jesus actually died. Like, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. That the gospel is not just Jesus' death on our behalf, but it's the idea that Jesus died. He was buried. Like, he, he was physically buried in the earth, and he rose again victorious. This is the entire gospel, and every part of it is important. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the gospel, and we went through a whole series, five-week study, on the gospel on repeat, and our understanding of it being such an important thing. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the gospel. Jesus Christ died, he's buried, and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. But then later in 1 Corinthians 15, it's about 60 verses, and later in 1 Corinthians 15, he actually explains the theology behind why this had to happen this way. We're going to read these verses, 10 verses, not all 60, and uh, you can thank me later. We'll read all 10, just 10 of these verses. Just want you to see the rich truth in this. 
First Corinthians 15, verse 11. Therefore, whether it were I or they that preach, we preach and so you believe. Verse 12, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there's no resurrection from the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ isn't risen. And if Christ is not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is also in vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, who he, he must not have he raised him not, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you are yet in your sins. They that are fallen are, are all fallen asleep in Christ, which are they're perished. They're not just asleep, they're they're gone forever. And he says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we of all men are most miserable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also resurrection from the dead. You get all that? So Paul is, is explaining to the church at Corinth who had debate about um, whether or not uh, the, there was actually a physical resurrection. And Paul's explaining to them, hey, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we certainly can't. And if we can't, then Jesus didn't. And he says, and if there's no resurrection from the dead, then what is the point of the gospel that we now preach? I would encourage you to go back and study all of 1 Corinthians 15 this week. There's so much theology here, but this is the simple truth. If we break it down to the simple truth, it's this. For as in Adam, verse 22, we all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. This is the truth. As Jesus died to self, so we too must die to self. That sin brought brokenness and decay to a world that was created uh, for man to exist eternally. Like, we were supposed to be eternal creations. And sin brought brokenness and death to this world. The wages of sin is death. For as by one man sin entered, so by one man, Jesus, life can come. Like so by one man, we can have new life. You say it took 24 verses to get to the point that as Jesus died, so we must die to self. But this is the point. This is not just about us dying physically. It's about the recognition that we must also die to self. Like it might seem simple, but if we don't get this, then we will never grow in our walk with Christ. If we don't get this, then we will not walk worthy as we are called to in Ephesians chapter 4. Because how many of us know this truth intellectually? Like we know that Jesus died, we know that we should take up our cross, you know we should surrender to self, but how many of us know this truth and we continue to live selfishly? Our beliefs have not impacted our behavior. Our understanding has not changed our way of life. How many of us know this truth, but we still live the way that we want to live and do the things that we want to do? Paul says, this is going to take a, a, a regular, ongoing denying of self. Skip down a few verses, verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I die daily. He says, I surrender to Jesus daily. I submit myself to Jesus daily. He says it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. And he gave himself for me. We could do a whole study on the parallel passages and the truth that they hold. But once again, uh, for the sake of time, this is what we'll study. New life begins where our old life ends. 
New life begins where our old life ends. The story of Galatians, if you study it out, is all about uh, our works of righteousness against the law. It's, it's all about our effort versus the grace of God given in Christ Jesus, and then what that merits uh, from us in turn. It's about what we can do in the flesh versus what God intends to do through his spirit. So you see that in Galatians chapter 2 and 3, especially all of that theology. And then we get to chapter 5. Chapter 5 of Galatians, we're going somewhere with this. He says this in verse 18. If you be led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So he says, hey, you can, you can serve the flesh, which leads to uh, either pride or uh, self-defeat, or you can serve the spirit. Right? You can be led by the law, or you can be led by the Spirit. And he goes on to talk about the works of the flesh. Envy, idolatry, adultery, fornication, strife, wrath, anger, heresies. The list goes on and on. But then in verse 22, we get such a popular passage. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. We know verses 22 and 23. But look at verse 24. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. He reiterates Galatians 2.20. He reiterates 1 Corinthians 15.31. He says this is about a dying to self, like as Jesus, Philippians 2, died to self, not just physically, but even emotionally, mentally, spiritually. He died to self, and so we must die to self. We've crucified the flesh. As Jesus has died, Ephesians chapter 4, we have died. This is so important. But I want to step back and be honest. Um, a lot of us, especially those of you that would show up at 1030 service when it's negative 16 degrees outside at church, most of you have grown up in church. A lot of us in conservative churches. And we are really pretty good at crucifying our flesh and beating ourselves up. A lot of us are. And I want to be honest and say, I, I myself have to confess that I was even talking to Dave about this before the service. I struggle balancing what it actually looks like to just pursue the truth of God's word and not be man-centered, but also celebrate what God's doing in and through us. Like, what does that look like? What does it look like to commit to live in the spirit? Like, how, how does this actually work? Because many of us have grown up in or have heard very man-centered teaching, uh, both in the way of salvation and in the way of sanctification. And there's an irony in it, because there's this idea in, in the way that many of us heard the gospel and salvation that we have some kind of value that we were so worth dying for, that we were so valuable, that God was hopelessly, helplessly pining after us in heaven, and this was the gospel that you were to die for. And that's just not actually the truth. And we've talked about that before. And what happens is when we have this perspective, this translates into our walk with Christ, where if we had something worth God's love before salvation, then we have to continue to walk worthy. And when we read passages about uh, walking worthy, like Ephesians chapter 4, then we think, if I don't walk worthy, then I'm no longer worthy of the love God gave me. And so we have this man-centered way of thinking, and the truth is, the, the gospel is that we should die to self, that we are crucified with Christ, and it's not I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, let him follow me. Philippians 2, he says, don't look at your own needs. Look at the needs of others. Have the mind of Christ. He was humbled. 
He was obedient. He was a servant. We can walk after the flesh or we can walk after the spirit. We can live for this world or live for the eternal. And this is the call of scripture. And so as uh, a church and even as leaders, we have really strived to to combat against man-centered theology in this area. We've really tried to make the gospel uh, centered around who God is and what God's done. But I have to admit now, I'm, I'm coming back around, stay with me, I have to admit that in an effort to combat man-centered theology, um, I personally sometimes swung the pendulum the other way. Because the truth is, without Christ, I, we have nothing to offer. The truth is, we are truly undeserving of God's mercy and grace. However, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you have believed the gospel, something has changed. If you have believed the gospel, you have tied your faith to Jesus. That's what Ephesians 4 and Ephesians, or 1 Corinthians 15 both say. You have tied your faith to Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, we have been quickened. We've been locked together with Christ. As in Adam, we all die. But as in Christ, so all are made alive. So yes, as Jesus died to self, we must die to self. But the other part of that, the part that I sometimes leave out, the part that should give us pause to feel encouraged is that as in Jesus, as he rose in victory, so we too will rise in victory. This is the gift of grace, verse 7, given to those who believe. And sometimes I forget that second part. Sometimes we forget that second part, that in Christ, we have actually been given all that we need to live the life that he has called us to live. In Christ, we have been made new. We have been made alive. That has already happened. In Christ, we have already been made for an eternal purpose and with an eternal promise. And so we can read the list in Galatians chapter 5 and go, man, I'm not typically loving. I'm not typically patient. I'm not typically kind. We can read the fleshly list in Galatians chapter 5 and go, I do lust. I do envy. I do struggle putting other things before God. I do have anger and wrath in my heart. Like, I, I can't live the way that he's called me to live. I do choose the flesh over the spirit. But there was a verse that we skipped in Galatians chapter 5. The last one. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, he says this. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. What happens when we walk in the Spirit? Well, Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. He produces love and joy and peace and gentleness and meekness and faith. He produces that. And then we go, wait a second, that looks like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. And that actually looks a lot like Colossians chapter 3, when he says, if you've been risen with Christ, seek what's above. And in verse 12 through 14, he gives almost the exact same list. He says, forbear one another and have meekness and lowliness and patience and unity. And above all, Colossians 3, he says, charity or love for one another. See, the entire point is that walking worthy is not at all about how you walk it's about walking in the Spirit. They go hand in hand. This is not a work that you do. Being risen in Christ is about seeing Him do a work through you that only He is able to do. And this is the story of the New Testament letters to those who believe. This is the hope that we have. It's that in Jesus, we are made free. 
in Jesus we are made alive. It's in Jesus that we are made new. This is not within ourselves. This is a work that he is doing and has already done to those who believe. This is the hope that we have. And it's in this context now that we go back to our main text, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. Everybody go. All right, good. All right. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, he says this. Wherefore, he says, he ascended on high. He led captivity captive. He gave gifts to all men. Verse 10 or 9, he says, now that he ascended, what is it that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Pause right there. 1 Corinthians 15, or go to verse 10. Just pause right there at least, all right? This is what he said in Coloss or 1 Corinthians 15. Hey, if he didn't die, then he wouldn't be risen again, and vice versa, right? And this is the case Ephesians chapter 4, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. He reiterates what he said in verse 6 of Ephesians chapter 4. God, or Christ, he, the Godhead, is above all and in all. He says the same thing in Colossians chapter 1. He says the same thing in Philippians chapter 2. It's almost like the narrative is really quite simple for us that we decrease and he increases. There's so much theology here and in 1 Corinthians 15. We, we tie our fate to Jesus. As he died, we will die. As Adam died, we will physically die. But as Jesus rose to new life, we have that hope of resurrection. So for those of us that have believed the gospel, this is the point. We no longer live for this world. We live for the eternal. You say, again, this is a really simple thing. There's a lot of study that's getting us to this, these really simple points, but this is the point. How many of us know these truths and we haven't let our beliefs impact our behavior? Again, how many of us understand these things, but we have not let this become a way of life? We aren't walking worthy because we're not walking in the Spirit. See, a lot of us are, are living for this world in one of two ways. We're, we're trying to find our own satisfaction and our own status, our own security in the things that this world has to offer, or uh, those of us that are more spiritual, we're trying to, to conjure up our own holiness and our own morality and our own standing with God by works of the flesh. But the story of the Old Testament, the story of the Gospels, and the story of the New Testament letters all ring true the same. It is that new life is found exclusively in Jesus. It's, there's, there's, there is nothing this world has to offer, and there is nothing that we can do in John chapter 6, Jesus is preaching, and um, we like to think of Jesus as the, the lovey-dovey, feel-good Sermon on the Mount preacher, but what we forget is that actually even sermons like that were very unpopular for that day and age. And uh, in John chapter 6, you see that uh, narrative come true. It says, from the time that he was preaching, uh, people began to leave him. John chapter 6. And then in verse 67, it says this. So Jesus looks at the 12 disciples and he says, are you, you going to go away as well? Everybody else is leaving. Are you going to go away? And Peter says, one of the best lines, Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter says, where else are we going to go? It's, like, it's not just new life at salvation, but it's, it's new life now. It's the idea of eternal life. Like The only way worth living, the only life worth pursuing is found exclusively in Jesus. It's about living in light of what he has done and what he is doing. There is nothing else that will last. There is nothing else that matters. There is nothing else that will satisfy 
Uh, C.T. Studd made a quote way back 100 plus years ago that still rings true. He said, only one life, it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. This is someone who understood the gospel. The finished work of Jesus. What are we doing to live in light of eternity? And so practical application. um, For those that have not believed the gospel, We'll give three categories. For those that have not believed the gospel first, I hope that this makes sense to you. Like, take away some of the depth, and at the core, it's, it's the simple idea of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that we were sinners by nature and by choice, and that we have nothing to offer a perfect holy God. That's why the wages of sin is death. What else are we going to give to God? The only thing we own is our life. But God descended, both in the form of man and actually literally descended into the lower parts of the earth. He, he died for our sins. He took our punishment. He shared in our suffering, the Bible says, so that we could share in his resurrection, the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus. We put our faith in Jesus. We tie our faith to his. And we share in all that he has. This is the gospel. If you haven't believed the gospel reach out to somebody at the end of the service. For those that have believed the gospel but are still living for this world, I want to tell you there's nothing here for you. There's nothing that will satisfy like Jesus. I've pursued most of it personally. I've done it. There is nothing like living for Jesus. Everything else will fade away. There's nothing like resting in the work of his love for us. Are you looking for acceptance? Only in Jesus will you find true acceptance. Are you looking for unconditional love? Only in Jesus will you find true unconditional love. Like, you will not find satisfaction in the, in the world. If you have believed the gospel, you are an eternal creature that has been made new for an eternal purpose. You won't find satisfaction in the things of this world. As Peter said, where else are you going to go? Jesus alone holds eternal life. It's in Jesus that we can be fully known and fully loved. And that's the last category. For those struggling to know God's love for you, you've believed the gospel, but it still feels a little uncomfortable when people talk about your value. You've believed the gospel, but it still feels a little awkward talking about God's love for you. Like, you you so hard against man-centeredness that you don't really want to talk about how much God cares for you. It feels awkward, right? This last category of people is, is who I would fall into most often. I would feel uncomfortable talking about uh, God's love for me, right? Like my value post-salvation even just felt awkward or weird talking about it. It felt man-centered. There's a song, and uh, a line in the song says, uh, God is madly in love with you. And I told Emily I hated that line because it made God seem so needy, you know? Like, God's not madly in love with me. Like, he's God. I'm a person. I hated that line. But then I look at the scripture. I read verses that declare the actual truth for those that have believed the gospel and I, that's, this, is, this is the balance. And I go, wait a second, God is, like, God loves 
his people with a crazy amount of love, an unending and inescapable amount of love. Let's just read these verses. 1 Corinthians 15, we end 1 Corinthians 15, and he says this, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory, how through our Lord Jesus. Therefore, brethren, be, be steadfast and unmovable, always abound in the work of the Lord, for your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Romans chapter 8, Paul says, hey, all of creation groans. He says the same theology that we've covered. I'd encourage you to read Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, he ends though, and he says, who will separate us from the love of God in Christ? Again, this is not about us. This is still not about us. This is about what has been done through Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or sword, or peril? As it is written, he says, for thy sake we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep to the slaughter. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, he says, I'm convinced that death and life and angels and principalities or powers or things present or things to come or height or depth or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have believed the gospel, that is the amount of love that creator God, your father, has for you. God is madly in love with you. It's not because of you. It's because of the work of Jesus. We go back to our main text, Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, he starts it with therefore. And so since Pastor Josh isn't here, I'll say it. We have to see what it's there for. And uh, you go back to the end of Ephesians chapter 3. And Paul ends with a prayer. We're almost done. This is just the truth. For this cause, Paul says, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. If you believe the gospel, he says, I'm praying for you who are in the family of God. I, want him to, I pray that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened in might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and that you would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. He says, as Jesus, so you see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As Jesus was, Colossians 1, the fullness of God, Jesus died, he was buried, he ascended into heaven. His spirit came to dwell in those who believe. That is the gift, like we have the Spirit now, and now the prayer is not that He would be the fullness of God, but that we would now bear the fullness of God and be the image of God. And it's still not about us. We have this treasure in earthly vessels so that the excellency would be of Him. It's unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to His power, the power that works in us, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, Amen and amen. If you are in Christ, Paul says, I pray that you would know the love of Christ. I want to just read these. This is backed by scripture. This is not my opinion. This is not something to make you feel good. This is not something to make you go your separate ways and just think highly of yourself. This is the truth according to God's word. And if you don't agree, study it out and see this truth and let it change the way you view yourself and your king, your father, Jesus. Look at what he says. Uh, in Christ, you are called to live a life that will go far beyond you. In Christ, you are immeasurably and inescapably 
loved by God because of Jesus. In Christ, you have been given all you need to do all you've been called to do. In Christ, you are not and will never be alone. In Christ, you have a high priest who has paid the price for your sin and advocates for you. In Christ, in Christ, you are a child of the Most High King. Because of the work of Jesus. It's not because of you. Don't go your separate ways and think highly of you. It's because God himself condescended. God himself descended. And now in him, he calls you son or daughter. You call him father. In Christ, you have died to this world and all it has to offer. In Christ, you have new and eternal life. This is the truth as God declares it in his word. I don't know if, uh, does anybody out here do New Year's resolutions? Anybody? How many people have done New Year's resolutions before and failed and so you're like, nah, forget it. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, that's me. But I picked a word of the day this, this year. I guess you could call me an Instagram influencer or something now. Um, <clears throat> my word of the, the year is enough. And Emily knows how much I hate words like that because it seems like it's never enough. I can never do enough. I can never be enough. We can never have enough. But every time I study scripture, it's, it just seems so clear, the, the recognition. In Christ, like, it's enough. In Christ, I have enough. There's nothing more or less that we can obtain that will bring lasting joy. In Christ, you've done enough. There's nothing more or less that you can do that will change how he feels about you. And the, the difficult one, the one that I almost still reserve to even say, but is still true, is in Christ you are enough. And again, I pull back to even say it because so many, we hear that enough. Like in churches all over the world, we hear enough. Oh, you are enough. You go be you. No, that's not what this is about. And that's, if that's what you get from the scripture, you didn't study it accurately. But it's the idea that in Jesus, we are a child of God. Romans 8, who the Son set free, I'm an heir together with Christ. I'm not a slave to bondage or fear. I'm, I'm a child of God. And it's like that story of the prodigal when he's coming home and his idea is that he's going to say to his father, I'm no more worthy to be called your son. And before he can get the words out, the father runs down and grabs him. He's, no more worthy, like you're not worthy to be a son because of what you do. Like you're a son because you are mine. Like I created you. You are my child because that's what you are. And if you have believed the gospel in Christ, you are a child of God. And these truths, they don't make me stop trying. These truths don't make me stop chasing after Jesus. They don't make me engage less with God. They don't keep me from confessing my faults or from pursuing Jesus or from humbling myself before him or for dying to myself. Are you kidding? Like, Knowing these truths push me back to the feet of Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. I die daily, not because I want to or because I like to, because I have no other choice, because I recognize the eternal way of life is the only way of life worth living. These truths don't make us think more highly of ourselves or more lowly of ourselves. These, people make us, these truths make us stop thinking of ourselves, and they start making us think of him and of others. 
This is the idea of walking worthy by walking in the Spirit. Understanding the gospel compels us to live differently. So Josh is probably going to talk next week about some specific gifts. And uh, I think if we're on track in our study, whatever you think about uh, the gifts, whoever you think they're for, however you think they apply to you or to anyone else, whatever you think of what you have to offer, practical things, spiritual things, emotional things, I want to encourage all of us to recognize the gift of God that he gave us through Jesus. To recognize the greatest gift that has been given is a relationship to him and to one another through Jesus and through the power of his spirit. I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Yet not I, but Christ. The life I now live, I live for him. This is the goal that we would say, first of all, what gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There's no more for heaven now to give. And then we would get to the end of verse 4 of the song and say, with every breath, I long to follow Jesus. Day by day, he will renew me. To this I hold. My hope is only Jesus. When the race is complete, still my lips will repeat, yet not I but through Christ in me. He died so that we must also die to self, and as we have died. But he has risen again victorious, so we too can be victorious. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening today. Grace Baptist Church exists to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. If there's anything at all we can do for you, please reach out to us. You can reach us on Facebook as well as online at experiencegrace.church. Hope you have a great day.